0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Scottish Watches podcast. Still pushing the boundaries of pettiness and misinformedness across the watch loving world and community. And we thought that the only way we could get more petty and more ill informed is by going for maybe more, well, I I want to say criminal mastermind, but the reality is that this country is full of people who got caught being criminals. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're not quite as smart as some of them think they are. just to fill this episode and we needed somebody so we got pete from not so obvious watches how you doing pete i'm doing very well thank you rick how are you today <laughs> i'm
1: doing very well actually no i'm not i'm not doing very
0: well i'm not doing very well
1: I was going to I'm say, sad. I've been listening to the podcast, you've been sounding like you're dying, so as, um, <laughs> can I get in on the Deadpool with Yeah,
2: Ricky? I've got some good
0: odds for you, we'll
2: speak <laughs> off <air>. here.
0: <laughs> well, that's part of the reason why I'm sad, apart from the fact that they won't let me take part. You won't be here to benefit, that's the thing. That is true, but it's for my heirs and successors. Mm. Uh, mind you, I've not left as many winkles behind as you have sowing your wild oats. Uh, across the west coast of Scotland, Ricky. <laughs> well, why don't you just explain for those that haven't come across you uh, exactly who you are and what you do uh, for the watch community
1: on YouTube? Oh, there's a good question. Um, okay, so I'm Pete McConville. I'd started a little channel called Not So Obvious Watches uh, about six months ago. Uh, I started it because I, was, I discovered kind of the YouTube watch community kind of late in my development of being interested in watches and started watching all these YouTubers and thinking that they look at a completely different watch world than I seem to have discovered. I I bumbled into watching or being involved in watches without being involved in any forums or any of the sort of social media stuff. I actually found myself learning about watches by going into watch stores, reading traditional media, going to some of the, like the bigger websites like Revolution and stuff. And then when I did sort of stumble upon YouTube and discovered that apparently there's actually only about five brands in the world that sell watches and there's <laughs> <laughs> everyone's got a very narrow set of sort of views about how it all works. And I thought to myself, I could either sit here and yell at the screen and, and just say there's more to life. Or I could, as it turned out, record one of the worst podcast one of the worst vlogs of all time. I think it was on the GoPro. I took off my bike that morning, um, stuck it on... Stuck it on YouTube, found myself kind of enjoying the process. And six months later, and yeah, you're right, only 802 subscribers later, (laughs) I'm still here. Don't worry, we'll soon sort that out. So tell us, what do you think about the Rolex steel sports shortage? Uh, (laughs) I I don't think there is a steel sports shortage. (laughs) I think there's an excess of people who all want to buy the same watch as everyone else. I see. A unique perspective from a man down under. Looking at everything the other way around. I was going to say, I've heard you guys say before, you know, Rolex are just doing what Rolex do. They they punch out about 800,000 watches a year. About a quarter of them seem to be steel sports. Nothing much has changed there. But suddenly it seems like they're the only watch anyone actually wants to buy. So I don't think Rolex has changed. I think we have. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think all these myth and mystery about Rolex are doing this or
0: Rolex are doing that. No, I think Rolex are just doing exactly what they always do, which is they concentrate on the things they know they can sell for the biggest margins, which is precious metal, simple three hand watches. Why spend I don't know, four, six, eight times as long making one Daytona at what's the price of a Daytona nowadays? 14 grand or something? What, new? I think uh, so. New, what's a new but Daytona? About 10. 10, 10, and 11. Uh, why spend four times as long making a Daytona in steel for 11 grand when you can probably make four or six day dates in precious metal uh, at the same pace and they'll sell out as well? They won't sell out as quickly, but They will sell. They don't sit in stores forever. Well, we say that, you know, while you go and you look in shops and there's no steel sports watches, it's not like it's always exactly the same non-steel watches. They they do rotate. Folk do go in and buy them. The watch geek community is about... But I'd be interested to know just how big the watch geek community is in terms of the number of watch buyers. Because we often use the figure 5%. But frankly, that's plucked out of thin air. It's probably more like (laughs)
1: 0.5%. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's impossible to know, but then if you like, just try and do some you know, back of a fag packet calculations and think Rolex sell what five, uh, five, six hundred, maybe eight hundred thousand watches a year. The biggest subscriber, the biggest channel on YouTube has maybe what three hundred thousand subs. Just put those numbers uh, next uh, to of each which, other, and you of think, which
0: half of them are. Yeah, of which half of them are probably imaginary friends. Yes. Uh. Well, no,
1: they pay they
0: pay very real money, so they're very real things. But yeah, you're right. The numbers to say it. the the number I had for Rolex was one point one million watches a year. But a million watches, nine hundred thousand, whatever it is, if the biggest YouTube channel is at three hundred thousand, uh and of those three hundred thousand, what, five percent of them are in a wealth bracket that would ever go and buy a brand new Rolex? then it just shows you just how small the watch geekery is in relation to uh, the number of watches they actually make and produce. Yes, so I doubt very much that we're influencing that market. No, and I think this is the big challenge, is a lot of watch media, the likes, well, especially the YouTube channels, are trying to gear up as influencers. They're they're a million miles from influencing any big brand Apart from us. I mean, apart from us. But you look at, I mean, Houdinke and Revolution just about managed to influence watch brands in producing limited editions. But they're watch brands that need assistance to sell watches. You know, it's not like it's Rolex or Patek uh, that they are collaborating with. It's watch brands that need as much Exposure to the market that these big media platforms give. Well, it's
2: been many years since Rolex have been down in their luck and they've had to co brand stuff with Domino's and
0: Comex and things <laughs> like that. <laughs> you know? That Domino's Pizza Watch is a corker. It's, have you ever seen one? Yeah, not in real life. I've seen them online. Not in real life. Yeah, online, I'm the yeah. same. Oh, they're cool. Seen pictures, never seen one in real life. Yeah, that's like wrecking women. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely seen them mm-hmm. uh, from afar. Of course. Yes yeah. through binoculars uh, you say, you say, well <laughs> uh, from a tree way, I do, have you have you ever noticed i can't actually remember who i assume it's a he but there is somebody on on our instagram account that sends i think it's most mornings is this the picture.
2: Lederhosen? Um... This is
0: the Lederhosen. I can't remember what the Instagram account is called. I suspect that there are a number of people that receive this uh, picture <laughs> from time to time. But he sends Lederhosen, like women wearing Lederhosen. <sighs> it's some sort of obsession. I, I don't quite understand it. Well, it's Oktoberfest soon. Oh, is that right? So it
2: is on an the you, ante. Yeah. No, this has been yeah. happening for months. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you've got, yeah, you don't you want a, to ease into these things you've got to get ready for it i like your way of thinking oh, oh man me.
2: so we're we going me. to do some kind of wrist checks It's for about 10 minutes then. yeah we just talk about some watches right okay well since we have a guest pete what's you
1: wearing okay well i wasn't wearing anything because i was actually playing computer games waiting for you guys to call me but i put one on because i knew this was going to come <laughs> what, what computer games were you playing well, I, well, I, was, I forget, I forget we're, we're, the now, we're now no we're now no longer interested in the watches. <laughs> was it, was what, it Video Invaders? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Give no. guns up all your money. Yeah, who knew that being an indie <laughs> games developer makes even less money than being a YouTuber. Um no, I was playing WoW, World of Warcraft. So I am a oh, man right, of, Okay. I'm a man of hidden shallows. <laughs> and how long have you been playing that for? About 20 years. Uh oh god i started playing when i was posted to the state so that was 2007 so about 12 years oh wow mm. wow wow mm.
0: <laughs> i've i've seen the game once so does that mean you're like some sort of exotic wizard or beast or something have you got extra qualifications
1: uh no in fact i i stopped, I don't know how these things I stopped work. playing for a long long time and started playing again just a couple of weeks ago when they reintroduced and a new old version. So at the moment, I'm a, a weedy little character. Hold on, they've got a vintage right, okay. re edition. Yeah, so. <laughs> uh, has, it fee- has it got full patina? Has it got full patina on it? <laughs> nice. That's the way of the world.
2: Right, Okay, so
1: uh, what watch are you wearing, Pete? I am wearing a new. I'm going to murder the German language here. I'm wearing a Muller Gola 1853. Oh. Rick, that's your birth year. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say we've seen we've seen some Moolah Glass recently.
0: Uh we were at a red bar event and uh, now I'm trying to think which way around it was. It no, was, it was the 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 owner. James the no. uh, owner's James Portonson. It was actually the owner of Moolah Glass was at it. He was a fascinating guy. Oh really?
1: Uh, and they
0: were very, very cool. Yeah, really cool watches. They've got this big uh, military vibe with I think it's Air Sea Rescue. Mm-hmm. Uh in their home country or, or It was a SEAL team you know, thing Al- was Alpine it not? Rescue or something some of that I can't quite mm-hmm. remember off the top of my head, but they were very cool. They were a bit kinda Tudor Pelagos like in terms of their colouring. Mm-hmm. It was that kind of matte finish, but it was super funky and they were really hard wearing. But yeah, we saw them at James Porter. Uh, so shout out to Simon and the crew there. So is this
1: a is this a vintage one, a new one, a Nearly new watch? It is, it would, it's probably, I think, I think this was about uh, 2006, so it's probably not yet vintage, but um, mm-hmm. it will be soonish. So, I don't know, it depends <laughs> what you call the cutoff of vintage. Call it 25 years. So, yeah, it, it'll be a vintage before I pass this mortal coil. Cool. Well, we obviously don't look forward to that day too much. <laughs> Pete, Pete
0: can stick around. You need to get to a thousand subscribers at least. Then you can go. Then you can consider your work done.
2: Yes. Have Clockbait managed to get to a thousand subscribers yet. Yeah, they they've actually—they're
0: actually—they're creeping up on us, you know. We're going to actually have to start well, doing some video content, then, aren't we? <laughs> we will. We will do. We'll actually need to put some. We need to actually put some effort in. Let me just see what they're actually up to. Oh, but man. yeah, they were there were a I think they were. They weren't far behind. I seem to recall. But uh, yeah, I think we're getting. I think we're trying to set up a conversation with them. No, we're just well, telling them we, that. Well, I was going to say we just tell them that we're trying to set up a conversation <laughs> with them. We're going to try and stretch out as long as possible. Yeah. So yeah. So what are you wearing, Ricky?
2: Well, you go second for it, a change. It has been sloppy seconds for Ricky. It was a change indeed. So this week I have had well in the last seven days I've had two incomings and I'm waiting for a third. So today I'm wearing the watch that arrived yesterday. And that's a watch that we did a a kind of fake unboxing. It was a true unboxing, but it'd already been out of the box. We did that on Instagram live and that's now up on our YouTube channel. And it is the Timex re edition of a nineteen seventy-nine watch called The Cure. I mentioned it in a previous edition of the podcast, but it has not arrived yet. Got it yesterday and I actually really like it somewhere in that today.
0: Cool. Yeah, I've just checked. Cockbait are actually about twenty subscribers ahead of us, I think. Oh. No, we can't we can't we can't be having that. Can't be having that. Right. Anyway, get on the
2: phone to TGV, find out its contacts over in the Middle East, and uh, let's buy some subscribers. <laughs> Excellent idea. I think
1: it's more likely to be the Southeast Asia than Middle East. Oh, that's where you get yours from? <laughs> no, I think actually, given that his past relationship with uh, with Archie, that's where they probably both got them from. Uh-huh. <laughs> I am
0: wearing. I'm wearing the pan I've got the pan back on. I was going to wear the the Sekio, but uh, I just. I hadn't been bothered to change, so I have the paranoia on. It's still the best watch. The the rubber strap on it is starting starting to stretch ever so slightly through use. So it's not fitting quite as well. Either that or my wrists are growing or shrinking. I'm not quite sure which way around. I'm either putting on weight or I'm wasting away off this mortal coil on your deadpool, it will uh, will be successful. So how many folk are in this deadpool? Is it a dead pool or a dead pole? Pool. Pool. Yeah. Lots.
2: <laughs> Everybody. Everybody apart from you. All <laughs> listeners. All viewers.
0: <laughs> so what are we going
2: to chat about today then?
0: Uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like it's, it feels like it's been a busy week, but then when I actually think about it, I'm like, I don't know what I want to talk about. I mean, there's the rugby coming up. Does that uh tudor i've put my name on a list to see if i can at least see one if not get a chance to buy one is this where we're at now you actually have to put your name on a list to see watches yes <laughs> it's, it's got that bad what do we all think of pvd watches there you go there's a question for you they're shit are they i've never had one mm. not a black one i don't know if that, is that g-shock that silver g-shock is that technically pvd silver in some way, shape, or form? i no. it feels like it's got a coating on it no no it is just pure metal yes in its natural form just polished yeah, I've never I've owned got, a
1: PVD watch so I don't know whether it's the sort of thing I should look at or not. Yeah I've got one PVD watch and I don't love it. I don't love the finish that you get on them and uh, mm-hmm. they just don't look right in the in the metal so I don't think I'd be getting another one. Right okay and do they scrap? I mean is all PVD equal is it all the same or is some people's PVD better than other people's PVD? I'm not the expert here I I think what they spray on is all pretty much the same, but there can be variations mm-hmm. in how well they spray it on. So if you see right. if you see particularly bad stuff, there can be ripples or flaws in it. But I but the the media they put on is pretty much constant.
2: The way I understand it is the two different things There's DLC and PVD, and mm-hmm. the DLC is diamond-like carbon, which is the yeah. the stuff that's on the top, and it's an ion deposit system not exactly sure uh-huh. how it works but instead of spraying paint on or whatever it's a bit like powder coating but it's a very very thin coating and no matter what kind of coating it's going to be if you bump it against your desk or you catch it on something okay. it's going to scuff off it ain't going to stay there and then you've got the problem of mm, how do we fix this do we send it away and get the full mm. thing re because you can't just let spray paint in the little bit that's scuffed up because it's not going to match yeah. and it also feels kind of odd it's a it's a weird texture when you, Does it? Yeah,
0: it's it's kind of odd. And is is DLC better than PVD? Do you think? watched the is one viewed as being more? I don't know, luxurious or hard wearing, or are they both just kind of slightly different processes for the same thing? Do you care if you're shot with a nine mil or
2: a three fifty seven? It's still gonna hurt. So if you scuff it against something, it's gonna come off. So either okay. way, I don't know. But um, no the PVD, yeah. I've got a PVD. What've I got? I've got a bracelet for one of my watches that I bought this PVD, and it started to mm-hmm. wear away quite quickly, and I thought, nah, that's why. I don't like any of the PVD stuff, and if you look at some of the older ones, or even go on Chrono24 and search for PVD and zoom in in the pictures, there is always uh. scuffs, scratches, edges have started to fade off, and it just... Right. Thought, patina! Everyone will love it, because it's called patina. <laughs> PVD, great stuff. Can't get
0: enough of it. Great. Quickly patinaed. See, I quite like the look of that Tudor in the all black. Uh, I also think it is pretty cool that... Okay, it's a limited edition, but it is quite a clever marketing ploy that what they're saying is every time there's a new cap given to uh, a New Zealand rugby player. And for our American listeners, rugby is like a game for real men who can tackle each other without having to be clad in body armour. Oh, like Aussie Rules Football? Like Aussie Rules Football or Shinty. Yeah, I, quite, I like the look of it because it's 41mm, so it's slightly bigger than the Daytona, but it's got that kind of Daytona vibe. I do like the snowflake hand on it, although it seems to have divided opinion, and I quite like the the, the occasional red markers uh, that are there. So I'm hoping it looks pretty cool in person, but I, I have no experience of PVD, so I don't know whether it's the sort of thing I'm going to take a look at and go, no, I'm just going to bash that. Right up, so I'm just not bothered. How many scuffs or scratches see? have you got
2: on your existing watches, like your Panerai?
0: Well, I've got the rubber band on this, so on the watch many. head. Eh, there's that scratch that Adrian was so kind to point out. That's on We're the glass. Lunch with on the watch head. Uh, on the what? Well, there's a few, but not so much as I notice. But then, and you're blind. It's quite a sh- It's quite shiny, and also it's covered in mud. I mm-hmm. mean, it's actually filthy. So, so it's PVD. Uh, it's... um uh, it, Yes, it's... it's, it's uh, Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Clay. Mm-hmm. Uh, clay vapour deposition. So, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't... Well, who knows? I'm going to find out. I mean, I may or may not buy one if I get the opportunity. But I'm going to find out. Have a look. But I, I, I look looked at this when like.
2: they released the release version of it and thought, I'm just going to sit at the sidelines and be quite smug because I've got a watch that looks very much like that from Tudor that's made of ceramic and it ain't going to scratch what?
0: well that is the interesting thing is you would have thought i mean how much was your fast rider i Expensive? got it super
2: cheap i got uh, it in the sales for uh, 1700 quid new but they go for sheesh. about three 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 and a half maybe for a ceramic 150 meter water resistant watch with mm-hmm. a Eta 7750 inside it 7753 and what what is the bracelet is the bracelet it came with a leather you can also get it with a rubber But people seem to think it's expensive to get ceramic bracelets. I had this chat with somebody and, Uh you know, oh, well, you know, it's going to be expensive for this, expensive for that. Rado, they do nothing but ceramic bracelets, uh, heads and all the rest of it. Now, have done for years and they're not expensive. So it, it doesn't cost that much. Obviously, if you're not super careful, especially with the bracelet part, if you were to clonk that off something, there's a chance it will shatter. But if you're careful with your watches, somebody went crazy because this week I wore my ceramic Speedmaster to the gym. And yes, I saw that on Facebook and on Instagram. People were like, "Oh my god, you didn't really do that, did you?" What happens if this happens or that happens? Well, I'm kind of careful, so I try not to do things like that. But, uh-huh. hey, there you go.
0: That's a good point. Is Pete? What is Pete? One of our Facebook and friends yet?
1: Yes, yes, Does yes. Does mean he's qualified? Yes, I've qualified. Clearly, clearly, you're not paying that much attention. I, I think I'm actually a moderator on the site. I know, I know you, I know, I know, <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a
0: moderator, but that's not the same to say as you're a friend yet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I, I
1: didn't realise this was actually an audition tape. This is, yeah, an audition tape. Yeah, this is, yeah, wait exactly till, this wait is. till
0: Rick introduces you to his couch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know where to go with that. That's That's just disturbing in all sorts of ways. But uh, there we go. Not
2: as disturbing as someone on the Instagram live yesterday talking about why was there a,
0: a mark at the three-inch point in your ruler? Ah, uh, yeah, but it, A, it wasn't my ruler.
1: <laughs> it's just, and B, it wasn't my ruler, uh-huh. and C, still wasn't my ruler. But mm-hmm. there we go. I was going to say a good a good use for a three-inch mark on a ruler is you can you can accurately tell how, the depth of it is, how far you can put your uh, speedmaster underwater. <laughs> <laughs> mm, that's true.
0: Very uh, good. The three three atmospheres mean something entirely different. It's actually three inches. Yeah. Three uh, three cool. ATMs. Oh, conscious walked right into that. <laughs> anyway, so uh, in fact, who was it? It was Darren uh, Tiffany Darren. That was who's the man with the famous AT, who randomly has a ATM available here. Sign up in his watch workshop who was saying that he'd quite like to take your Timex and take the movement out of it and put in it a spare... A, I assume it was a Belova a movement, a tuning fork movement into it to turn it into uh, something entirely special and unique. And I think that sounds like a decent idea. Hmm. So other, than, other than the Tudor, I'm not sure what, an engine swap... I'm not sure what else has been happening that's really caught my attention this week.
2: Well, this has been a bit of a quiet week and we've got a guest, so let's not try and dwell on the past in the news. I want to find out more about the channel, the videos, the controversies that Pete sort of has spotted and talked about on his channel. Because when he does videos, it's him speaking to the listener instead of a chat. And when we do videos, Mm. when we do obviously podcasts and stuff, I'm basically teaching you. The way of the world. So, Pete, (laughs) what sort of things, since you've started your channel, first of all, the do's and the don'ts, if you were to restart building a YouTube channel from the ground up with the knowledge that you've sort of got in the last six months, what would you tell people? What sort of things would you change?
1: Oh, God, what would I change? Um... The first thing I'd say is that the 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 interesting part of setting up a channel is, you know, thinking about what are you going to talk about with watches and what do you care about and what your opinions are. And that's the bit that you sort of run through in your head. And that's, I sometimes think that's one of the least important parts. If you actually do want to build a channel, uh, it's all that boring stuff about getting the descriptions right and the titles right and paying attention to all those YouTube ads that tell you, you know, how to tag things so you get seen in um you get seen in uh what is it um search engines and things it's funny only now have i begun to pay any sort of attention to that and it's i think it's one of the reasons why for for me in terms of uh, you know the growth of the channel it really kind of stalled uh so that's purely from the mechanistic side i think the other thing wait
2: a minute Right, tags. Right, okay, good. Right, no, we're just getting some ideas for our channel so we can be well ahead of clock and but carry on. <laughs>
1: yeah, so most of us have an idea of what we want to say, but, and that's the, as I said before, that's kind of fun to think about, but it's all the boring stuff. And it's like one of the things that really frustrates me now is that. Even today, one of my most popular videos is like the third video I ever did. It was a review of one of my Alpinas, and I look back and it, I just cringe. It's just absolutely awful. It's it's as I said, it's my third video of me talking at a um, at a GoPro, which I had quite literally taken off my bike. I think about a week before. By the time I did that, probably still had some crud on the uh, on the lens. Uh, I'm just talking into the microphone on that. I had nothing set up. And yeah, as I said, according to Google Analytics, it's my most popular video. So clearly paying attention to production values is a waste of time. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, all that all that boring stuff, I would have paid a lot more attention to. Uh, apart from that, for me, the main thing is, and the, the key for me is, I just, I don't want to chase an audience. I just want to talk about the things I want to talk about. So in terms of the, yeah. what I would say, probably not much. I think if you did try and Try and chase the audience, chase the analytics. You'd end up coming. You could probably hold that for a while, but I don't have enough work ethic to stick to that. I'd get bored and just drift off and do something else. I think it's true that your channel is. I mean,
0: it's, it it's actually does stun me that it's not more popular. That you don't. That you're not well up with. Two or 3,000 subscribers by now because the content is really good and as you say, actually the production values in these kind of things are largely irrelevant, although you do seem to be getting a bit of a following now for folk asking you what it is that's in the background and I notice you've changed your camera position in your last, I think it was your last video you now decided to take a sideways angle rather than uh, face on but uh, because I do really like what you're doing, I just think it's pretty cool it's not as off-the-cuff as an Archie type thing. It's not talking about... I suppose the way I feel about it is that it's kind of like what we would be like (laughs) if there was only one of us and we were doing video... Uh, i'm living in australia in fact it might well be it might well be my future right <laughs> yes yeah Don't you
2: know i'm just a voice in your head
0: <laughs> that's right this is like this is like that film that i thought it was at the beginning when we started recording because split. uh no not split what's the what's the Inception? i see ghosts i see dead people no oh, i thing. Cent. The sixth sense, that's what it was like at the beginning. You'll have to explain to listeners why you thought this. So for all those listening, for some reason I was on the Skype call and I could hear them, but they couldn't hear me. They were asking questions, I was answering the questions, and they were then leaving just enough pause in my answer made me think they could hear me and it was only after about four or five minutes that i suddenly realized actually these guys can't hear me i'm busy jabbering to myself thinking i'm having a conversation with these people but actually i wasn't mainly because i just interrupt everybody all the time best five minutes of my life as <laughs> five minutes of your life yeah so yes i did feel like i was bruce willis for a brief moment trapped in a box talking to dead people mm-hmm. or maybe i was dead maybe i'd won the Deadpool. Or it finally been cashed out. Who knows? Are we going to get the show notes from you through a Ouija board? <laughs> it's possible. Hey, now, if you th- if there's any way I can communicate to you via Ouija board, it's not going to be a Ouija board, I'm going to be a poltergeist throwing stuff at you. Yes, so as I was saying, I enjoy your channel, Pete. I think because it is genuinely as close to what we kind of try to do, but in video format and only with one of us, if that's not too much of an insult. <laughs> Uh, I like the news coverage. I like, I like just the... I don't think there's really anybody else on YouTube that's covering the news in the way that you do in the watch industry, which is kind of what we do in the podcast.
1: Yeah, so it's... Uh, so I do enjoy that. Yeah, I've kind of... I find it interesting. It sort of goes back to the stuff we were talking about before where, you know, we are a tiny little blip in the watch industry and I think yes. we tend to overemphasise ourselves. And at the same time, we we can. we seem to completely ignore issues like i haven't seen anyone talking i have seen one article this morning where um, people have started to ask questions about what are the implications on the like american micro brands that all import their watch stuff from china what's going to happen to american-based yeah. micro brands when trump's tariffs start kicking in and what does that mean for a lot of these nascent industries I've, and and if you watch Jody's channel, you know these these guys live and die by whether their watch is ten dollars cheaper or fifty dollars more expensive than someone else's. So it's it, yes. I'm kind of interested to see what happens to those guys. And and like you say, I I don't see anyone else talking about that stuff.
0: Yeah, I quite like the sort of geopolitics of the watch industry because so much of it is tied into what's going on in China and Hong Kong, and fundamentally it's tied into really really rich people who, while they might not be the first ones that suffer when there's a world downturn, they're certainly the ones that squeal the quickest when there is. Even things like this Saudi Arabian oil uh, fire uh, will have impacts because price of fuel has shot up, so costs cost of getting stuff from China and all the rest of it, it all works through much quicker than people think. Uh, and so and we've, we've seen a number of watch brands this year on the Kickstarter model not you know actually just pull out... Uh, one in particular was actually, a Scottish one was, uh, what were they called? Acura. Acura, yeah. Uh, oh, who basically raised, yeah, they raised 50 grand uh, or so for their watch and then sent out an email giving everybody their money back saying, actually, and I paraphrase, but words to the effect of, we actually, because of everything that's going on and all the instability, can't control the costs and guarantee the delivery of these in a reasonable timescale. Uh, or the time scale that we'd like to or that we promised. So actually, rather than just upsetting everybody by sending you emails in three months' time saying it's going to be a three-month delay, we'll just give your money back and call it a quits just now and maybe come
1: back to a later date, I assume. Or they so, could have just kept uh, They could have just kept everyone on the hook forever and ever and then started a, uh, started a YouTube channel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a strategy. It is. So I've been
2: listening to you prattle on there, Rick, and I've got some questions. That's true. I'm, going to, I'm going to interject. I want to know why Pete started his channel. What was the the push, the drive to say I'm going to speak on camera? Did you do that before? Have you ever done stuff online? Have you ever done any radio work, or did you just decide one day? I think people might want to listen to what I've got to say.
1: Actually, it was I can I can almost pin it down. There was uh, I was just as I said I discovered YouTube probably about mid last year, I'd started watching a few guys and it was getting towards the, the end of 2018 and there's lots of people doing their wrap ups of this is what the industry was and these are the big trends that came out of 2018 and I saw a video by John P, you know, the partner guy of Federico and he was saying these were the thought, this is what he thought were the big trends were and I, I found myself thinking on what planet, that's not <laughs> that, that that's not the trends and I don't think that's how <laughs> things are going to work out and then I thought I could put that in a comment. But then you know what I've learned is most people don't even have time to read their comments. So I thought, oh, screw it. I'll (laughs) I'll grab my GoPro and I'll record my thoughts and stick it on YouTube. And then uh, some people watched it. And so I did it again. And that was really how the channel started. So the first one was, and it also sort of set the scene for the things I like to cover. So the first one was someone talking about the trends in the industry. And then my second video was because I got into a fight with someone on the internet and because, and we know how well those things turn out and so i uh, <laughs> uh, he was it, it was about you know the relative importance of we the western watch buying community and that's when i i did some did some research and came back and said you know at best america represents maybe 30 percent of the global watch market and um we have no idea what's going on in China. And so I did some numbers, stuck that up as a YouTube. some people watched it uh, that kept me going. that was my little my, that you know kept feeding the addict and next thing you know I'm I'm putting out one or two videos a week and here I am. And so that's really got what got me going. It was a it was just seeing people talk about things but not thinking that they're they're looking at the whole picture they're just, you get the dealers, and they give a very dealer-centric site, and then you get the enthusiasts, and you know they're really into their brands, and so they look down the barrel of their brands. Um, but I didn't see anyone sort of stepping back and saying, how does this whole thing work globally? How's, how's all of this stuff fitting together? And that's really what I started to try and think about. Hmm. and where did your sort of passion for
2: watches or ology come from was it something again fairly recent or is it just a throughout your life type thing
1: uh no for me it's absolutely recent you know so i was um i think like many guys and certainly most watch collectors we all have a history of collecting things of, of being involved mm-hmm. in toys uh and so for a long time my toys were different things
2: Uh, so let me stop you there let's not just categorize ourselves as guys because women do this with shoes and purses and (laughs) things and jewelry as well it's not just us so let's get the the sort of male female thing out of the way but i know what you mean there's a sort of mentality people have is to collect and gather stuff
1: that's right and and in a sense so i i I worked on and collected cars for a while that i got posted to america was it quite a big box you were in (laughs) so a speedmaster box no no posted as in i'm actually it's no great secret i'm actually in the air force i'm in the australian air force and so i got ah. a posting to the united states posted to america all my cars went into storage i was going broke paying for it i sold them all uh i started collecting cameras and camera gear uh came back to Australia and had a 50th birthday on the horizon, started thinking about what are the sorts of things I would buy for myself. A watch is a fairly typical thing to buy. Um, started doing the research on what sort of watch would I want to buy for a 50th and fell down that rabbit hole hard. And um, and so, yeah, that's basically now been about three-ish years of being really involved in watches. Uh Probably, I, I, I think I've said before, I, I just kind of accumulated watches for the first year and a half, two years. And it was at about the time I started this channel, I, I reckon I swapped over from just accumulating things with no rhyme or reason and, God forbid, start thinking of myself as a collector with an idea of kind of what it is I want to buy, that what is it that appeals to me rather than the bright and shiny thing. Good and where did your collection start off then? What was the the big piece you decided on? So the big piece I decided on was a Frederick Constant uh, Frederick Constant Classic GMT. So with work, mm-hmm. I tend to travel a bit. With even with work, quite often I'm dealing with people who are overseas, and so even if I'm not traveling, having the GMTs actually kind of helpful. And so it's it's one of the. If you like one of the themes of the things I collect, so I like my GMTs, and I like, you know, they cop a bit of crap, but I actually kind of like it's, yeah. You know, Archie's very definition of a shitter is is kind of like my perfect watch, that accessible luxury. <laughs> so I I'm I I truly just don't care about resale value. Um, I think I read mm. somewhere once luxury has no resale value. And so mm-hmm. I just I just buy the watches I like. I know that they're probably not got much in the way of resale value, but I've never actually sold a watch anyway. I've got I still own every watch I've ever bought. So um, what would be the point of spending a lot of money to guarantee resale? I'll never take advantage of. Good. And where did your collection go from there? Then what was the the plan of attack? I didn't really have what a plan of attack after that. So it just became this kind of mad desire to get more watches. So I think after that, I stumbled into a, uh, into a Seiko boutique. There's a, I hear you guys talk about the Argyle. Is it the Argyle Exchange Mall? Something? Argyle Argyle Arcade.
0: That's the one.
1: The Argyle Arcade, yeah. We have something vaguely similar. It's much bigger and probably warmer and not quite as wet in Melbourne. Uh, Yeah, this main street called Collins Street. And, Down that, you've got pretty much every kind of watch distributor and dealer you can imagine. Uh, And so and that's like one end of the street that I work in. So I would just walk from one end to the other and see watches I liked, see watches I could afford. And there was one particular store that was selling. I'm walking past the store and they were having, as it turned out, an actual closing down sale. And they had this Alpina Star Timer for sale. And I just fell in love with it. And I was going away on a trip with work. And so I had a pocket. I was like, I was like an 18-year-old kid. I had a pocket full of allowances that, that were burning a hole in my pocket. So I bought my second watch almost immediately after getting my first watch. And without even knowing that uh, Alpina was like a sister brand to Frederick Constant, next thing I knew, I actually owned two of a kind of family and I really liked the kind of pilot aesthetic that that had, so I kept going, uh, picked up a, a Brightling, which I liked, uh, from there I thought I really should probably get a diver, and of course if you're going to get a diver and it's something you can kind of afford, it's probably going to be a Seiko, and next thing you know I started collecting Seiko divers, so I've got a couple of them, and then, um, because I'm old and I like things that are even older than me. They make me feel a little bit further away from death. I started buying, uh, some (laughs) vintage watches. And since I'd kind of established a, a connection with Alpina, I started chasing, uh, Alpina vintage watches. And it's, it's a great, it's a, I found that as, as a really enjoyable thing to collect. And one of the one of the pitfalls of this hobby is kind of the competitive nature that it, you can kind of fall trap in get trapped into. Like you want to keep up with people. And I think I can say I am probably the world's foremost collector of shitty nineteen fifties alpinas <laughs> in the world. <laughs> oh we'll put that out to the audience to see if anyone can pitch. How many
0: have you got? Uh Right now I'm up to ten. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's not bad going. To be fair, it's not bad going. So we just make like the the address of the Alpina Horological <laughs> Vintage Society as a PO box number attached to your house.
1: Yeah, I'll, I was actually thinking what I might do is is try and get myself to be a, like a Wikipedia end- editor and then just enter myself oh, in, yeah. in the Wikipedia page. It's uh, probably got about <laughs> four people that ever look at it, so I think I could probably go a couple of months <laughs> before anyone notices. Get away with
0: it. Uh, t- so in your military stuff, do you see lots of pilots wearing very posh watches, or is it just the way I hear about it, which different wears Citizen Nighthawks? Uh, to, uh, and the nighthawks—that was called, yeah. Citizens. To tell you the truth, I them all wearing bright navitimers
1: and emergencies. Yeah, it's, it's actually I, I haven't hung out with a lot of pilots since I got into watches, so I've I've actually uh-huh. been wondering the same thing myself. Uh, I have a strong <laughs> suspicion that you'd probably find most of them these days are wearing some sort of Fitbit. Uh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. mostly about trying to track your sleep and your exercise and your heart rate so i i have a strong suspicion you'd find most working pilots would probably be wearing some kind of fitness tracker or smartwatch um unless of course they're they've thrown themselves out of an airplane and managed to qualify for one of those bremonts yeah the mv1s they are they are pretty cool uh, yeah, they I do wonder how many of
0: them there actually are, because I suspect that while it sounds like a really rare, a, a really rare experience, so this is a watch the MB one from Bremen that you can only get, and I think you only you either get it for free or you pay a very insignificant amount of money, and you have to prove that you have used an ejector seat. What's the uh, Martin Baker? That's what the MB mm-hmm. stands for. A Martin Baker ejector seat. Martin Baker, I think, supply about 60% of the world's ejector seats or something like that. So if you can prove you've actually ejected from aircraft, you qualify for a free Bremen watch. But I suspect there's actually more people have ejected from aircraft than perhaps we realise. Well, Uh, did you
2: ever hear the story? I don't know if you were with me when somebody told us this, but what came back to us was when people generally get ejected from whatever type of plane it would be they don't want Mm -hmm. to remember that because the injuries they sustain the the compression of the spine this the painful landing they don't want to remember that at all it's like would you like a watch to commemorate your car crash well no yes so a lot of people don't bother and a lot of people Uh allow their friends to acquire the watch on their behalf
0: yes i know exactly the i know exactly the friend Nudge, nudge, wink, wink that you're referring to. You remember this conversation. <laughs> the, who, who, Who is the proud owner of an MB1? Uh,
1: well, As <laughs> a quick aside, because
2: I know Rick loves to talk about <laughs> such things, your collection of cars and cameras, what sort of cars and cameras did you have in storage?
1: Uh, it, pretty much exactly like my watches. I tend to do things the hard way. So if I was going, you know, a sensible person who was going to be involved in cars would do something like, you know, an MG or maybe go German. Please, so I, of tell, course, had, please tell me you collected Volvos. Please tell me you collected Volvos. <laughs> no, way worse than that. <laughs> right. I, I collected Lancias. So, Lancias?
0: Ooh. Oh, God
1: better. Good so ones or I bad ones? Integrales? Oh, absolutely. No, no. Absolutely terrible ones. So I had, <laughs> oh, okay. um, I had a Lancia Beta, which was involved in a very minor accident. And um, the insurance company wrote it off but i was actually able to buy it back off them for 250 dollars and to try and find the one panel i needed to replace on it it was actually cheaper for me to buy a whole other lancia beater so now i owned two lancia beaters and um and there was a guy i was working with um Who was into like historic rallying cars and stuff like that? So he was building his own uh, sort of historic rallying. I think he's ended up now building a 944. And so we sort of partnered up and I started building and got pretty close to completing a a complete, a faithful replica of a 1974 Group Four Lancia Beta rally car. But as I'm going through that process and you know, getting involved in the whole Fiat community and learning about those guys, I ran into another guy who'd accidentally imported an extra Fiat 124 Spider into Australia. So he'd bought a container mm-hmm. load of stuff, thought that there would be four cars in it. Turns out there's five cars. And so I bought the fifth car off him for almost nothing. So at the same time he- as I'm building a rally car, I'm also trying to restore a Fiat 124. and. Convert it from left-hand drive to right-hand drive, and do all the stuff that needs to be done there. And just about got everything finished, and then moved to America and sold everything. And so oh. that was pretty much that was a painful experience. And so that pretty much ended my involvement in cars, because after that I'd kind of I'd got all the good bits out of. As an engineer who enjoys tinkering, I'd kind of done all the good bits. And mm. um, when I was in America, I got much more involved in photography. And again. Um, there would there would be a sensible thing to do, which is buy something sensible like a Canon or a Nikon. So I, of course, had to buy a Minolta, who immediately mm. went broke <laughs> within three months. Uh, Did Sony and, not pick up the pieces? Yes, yeah, so Sony picked up the pieces. And, and after years of being mocked by my mates who all had Canons and Nikons, I'm beginning to look like the smart one as... Um, yeah, you know, because I sort of stuck with Sony and and developed with them, and so now most of my kit's Sony, and it's it's pretty cracking. It's it's good stuff. Um, but mm. I had to go through a lot of pain to get here, and so that was really yeah, the it. There was technology's the company technology is good. Yeah, I think for a long time they were they were pretty crap but you know mm-hmm. you've if, if you're a photographer you know you get invested in the lenses you get invested in the infrastructure it's it's kind of hard to change and yeah. uh, i was just lucky I, th- I think i was i did way better than people who were in the same position with pentax i think they've all just oh, gone God, down yeah. with the ship yeah
2: uh, so recently sony have like really upped their game because they supply all the sensors to pretty much everyone i think apart from canon so they know what they're yeah,
1: doing yeah yeah so they know what they're doing from a sensor point of view uh I think for a long time they were just it's it's probably like the watch community you know if you've got a, if you're uh, if you don't know what your business is and you spend a lot of time chasing other people you're always you're always only going to be chasing other people I think it's when they sat yeah. down and worked out what they wanted their cameras to be. They started to get better.
2: No, definitely. That's good. So what's on the horizons for you then? What's what's your grail of the moment? What's next for Ooh, you?
1: My, my grail of the moment is um, I've actually done something which I thought I would never, ever, ever do, which is I put down a deposit on, God forbid, a limited edition watch um, that I'm waitlisted for and hopefully will be arriving in... I think about four or five weeks uh this was mm-hmm. i won't say a drunken purchase it was one of those late night oh uh, it you know <laughs> i got the email and it came through and there's only going to be three of them available in australia and i just i um i ummed an ad and then i sent them an email and they said that there's now only one available it's the super ocean brightwing has got this new like squad thing doing where they're hooking up with like groups of athletes and they've actually hooked up with the Iron Man Corporation, so they've brought out an Iron Man branded one. And um, yes, I've seen that. I saw that, and I thought, who on earth would buy a watch that says Brightling Iron Man on the front? Turns out, you. I did. I did. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the the reason is, it's kind, of, it's it's one of those. It's it's kind of corny and sentimental, but it's also uh-huh. um, a little bit more respectable for a fifty year old to have a watch with an Iron Man on it than to get the Iron Man tattoo. So um, (laughs) I decided that I'd actually just spend the money on on the watch. So are you getting it on the red rubber bracelet? Uh, Yes, it comes on a red rubber bracelet. It will be interesting to see how long it lasts on the red rubber bracelet. But we'll see. It will. It, yeah, it's it's very esque that bracelet on those
0: brightlings. Don't tell Kevin O'Leary about this. Hi, what's Kevin O'Leary got to do with it? What has he said? Kevin O'Leary he doesn't like them, does he,
2: he? He'll put a red rubber bracelet on anything. I saw that. Good. Well, Pete, you've obviously messaged and commented On quite a lot of things throughout the past few months. What are your standout listens on our podcast where we have said something and you have been screaming
1: at the speakers? Because we'd like to know. <laughs> now we've got oh. you here. here. Uh- <laughs> Oh God, I can't think. You've caught me on the hop. I suppose when Rick is like madly fumbling to try and remember some movie, that... that, Oh, every episode. (laughs) That would be most episodes. Uh, Yep. (laughs) Yeah, so there's there's a routinely like, yeah, of course we know who this is. How can you not know this? I think those are words Mm -hmm. that come out of my mouth a fair bit. I can't think of what else. Glad to see that all that all
0: that educated watch content's gone in one ear and out the other. That, and it's just me fumbling a mind for random movie
1: <laughs> references that's caught your attention. Actually one of the things one of the things I, I really do remember was um and, and it came up again almost in my head this morning, which is uh or oh, that's when we started talking. And Rick's wearing his Panerai yet again. And the number of times uh-huh. he's referred to what I think are really quite cool watches, which he clearly owns, and I'd love to hear more about. But they never seem to get it. They never seem to get an airing. I almost feel some sense of sympathy for all of Rick's watches that don't seem to get out. I'd love, to, I'd love Rick to do a state of the collection. What do you have? Rick uh-huh. is
2: probably the the only person on the planet that bought one of the limited edition fiftieth anniversary Apollo steel and gold watches and has opened the box twice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it just don't have time. It's not a. It's not a lack of desire. I just simply don't have time. We got quite. A, we got a, quite a few responses to the last episode. We've not got time to deal with them now. But to the whole guys, ask your girlfriends, your wives, your mothers about watches and the difference between mechanical and bank And so A number of people have come back having done it. We've also had some responses from women who are watch collectors who asked their husbands the same. And most often coming back is. I just want something that's easy, straightforward, that I don't need to think about. And the reality is this Panerai and that Seiko, I simply don't need to think about them. Yeah. Whereas if I put that moon watch on, I'm actually going to, to think about where I wear that, where I'm going to be today. And I don't actually know when I get up at half past five in the morning. Who you are. <laughs> or actually, who I am. I have to re- re-download or what I could end up doing. So actually, the Panerai... I've got a Rolex Explorer that I could probably wear, but it's a, it a nineteen ninety, so it probably doesn't want to be thrashed about. And uh, sorry, Explorer two, and the new Seiko Arnie Panerai Seiko Arnie. I know pretty much no matter what I do through the day, it's not going to be impacted by anything that goes on. Uh, so yeah, it's just a it's a purely a lifestyle thing. When I'm when I retire. I'll start wearing these other watches. So next year, it's perpetual. It's like perpetual calendars and stuff. I just simply don't have time to wear them because you have to set them all up and all the rest of it. It's nonsense. But no, I do very much like that. Breitling. I've actually been talking to one of the local retailers about doing some stuff on Breitling because since the new what's the new CEO called George Kern came in. Yeah, since he's come in, he obviously had to produce a few watches that didn't go down well because they were in the pipeline, but the new stuff they're producing is starting to get back to what Breitling should be, in my opinion. And the reality is that if you were to ask most folk to name watch brands of the top five that your man in the street would be able to name, I suspect Breitling's likely to be one of them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh but they just don't seem to have had the presence. I mean, I, I just remember as a kid you'd always look in the window, it would always be Brightling that you'd be attracted to. I think just because of the Navi timer,
1: it just looked awesome. Yeah, you can really uh, un- you can really understand why the private equity guys would want that. It's it's one of yes. these companies which even even when they were selling that you know, you watch a lot of YouTube channels with dealers, Brightlings are famous for uh-huh. shocking retail values. And yet, like you say, the man in the street—it's a—it's a brand with with real equity, and so um, it's waiting for someone to take it somewhere. And and like you, I really like the new stuff. I th- I think it's uh, it's kind of it manages to do two things at once. It plays to what Brightling's good at, while at the same time, kind of looking fresh. And that's that's pretty tough to do. Yeah, I
0: think the only thing that Breitling really put a foot wrong is their attitude to John Travolta. John Travolta and and uh, and uh,
1: Baselworld. I think they've dropped the ball in pulling out of Baselworld. I'm actually not sure if they did drop a ball there. Who does Baselworld speak to, and and what does being at being at Baselworld mean for a brand like Breitling? I mean, Breitling mm-hmm. could have the best Baselworld ever, and they could absolutely kill it. And then if Rolex even just roll out you know, something with a, a new bezel, they'll just get swamped. And God forbid if Rolex actually yes. produced something new, it wouldn't matter if if mm-hmm. Breitling had invented the atomic clock you can wear on your wit- wrist. No one's going to cover it. <laughs> so what's the point uh-huh. of any brand that's kind of in that mix turning up to um, something like Basel? I must admit, when I heard that they were pulling out, I thought, well, that's... That's eminently sensible. It makes no I can't see why they would go. Well, nice. I'll give you the flip side of that. I would say, well,
2: let's look at Omega and Swatch Group. So this year was the biggest year for Omega with the moon landing anniversaries. They didn't go to Basel. They didn't take control of Basel, which they would have done if they'd went and announced all these things. They would have owned the whole show. What happens with Basel and to a lesser extent SIHH is a buzz is created in the industry, in the media and with the consumers and enthusiasts and if you're dropping a press release every so often like the Oris last week that was a little bit different because it's completely out of what they do normally, but if they just release something else, or Christopher Ward releases something, or Tudor's doing this thing just now, they get a little ping and then it goes away, but at Basel World, everyone's hyped up for it, it's like the World Cup, everyone's there for this whole thing it's a spectacle, and all the information that gets dropped, it's not a case of Rolex are going to take the limelight, because they always do but you're never going to get one, or you're going to be on a waiting list so yeah, we'll look at that for a minute, but the other watches that end up in the mix your brightlings your omegas or whoever else is there and with them pulling out especially this year with swatch group i can't remember apart from a couple of recent things anything from swatch group of any importance that was announced apart from maybe the tokyos and the moon stuff and then that kind of awful Aquaterra thing that's 55 grams
1: i can really see why swatch would go because even not just Omega, but with all the other brands they bring with them, they they get real punch and and a little bit like a Rolex. If Omega turns up and talks about the Seamaster and the Speedmaster, it automatically gets coverage. You know, the guys from Hidinki and so forth will automatically cover it. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I see Baselworld changing over the just for the last time you year, three years I've been into this hobby, Rick's just about the same. And I've seen Basel changing from 2017 when I first went to this year and what they're proposing. And they're trying to quickly turn the big ship from being a trade show where people would go across, place their orders for the next six to 12 months, trying to anticipate what the market is going to be like based on what they look at coming out and then making a split second decision. And now it is pretty much media focused. They're catching up with Instagram, they're catching up with the internet at large. And these big Swiss brands, we've heard it from guests that have been on the show, they've fought against. Technology changes. They're basing their whole business model and technology that was created 300 years ago. So the internet is still big and scary and it's only now they're all starting to see Instagram, Facebook, email marketing, even things like this. So I think it's going to turn its, turn a corner, be less trade focused, be more social media focused. And I think if, if they manage to do that, then they're on a winner, but they do need to change.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. No, I, I, and you see, you can sort of see how the Swiss brands are are. are are struggling to come to grips with the the new economy and how to talk. Like uh, you watch the way Tudor's trying to, like they're trying to do some of that kind of inventive marketing type of stuff. And they've just screwed it up every time. You know, they've teased things that they've then not given or worse. They've teased something that you really want only to deliver something that you wouldn't want to give to your worst enemy. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and not only that, they a lot of the brands and again I'll stick with Tudor here, you know, you know you might not like the P zero one, which almost no one does, but not only that, they, they teased it, they screwed with people, and then months later you still can't get it. So whatever buzz they may have generated has just is dissipating. And a lot of people, you know, are giving I know there was a lot of controversy over the whole uh, you know, the recent uh, what is it the ProPilot X from Oris and the yep. and also the BR05 yep. the new Bell & Ross um mm-hmm. but yes. on on you, know, you you can argue about the watches but props to both companies they they ran really really solid media campaigns they leaked it but then gave you exactly what you thought you were going to get and both of those watches were in the, were in store and selling within 48 hours of seeing a photo on Instagram. So they they will probably sell a a little bit like a Hollywood blockbuster. I suspect they'll sell like 30% of their annual sales probably within a week of that Instagram burst.
2: Excellent. Well, I think we're going to wrap this one up. It has been an absolute pleasure to finally get you on the show, Pete. <laughs> yes, it has. It has. Great to speak to you. And if you want to tell the
1: listeners where to go to find out about your YouTube channel and things. Okay, so the YouTube channel is uh, is named fairly easily. It is Not Not So Obvious Watches. Uh, my Instagram handle is not.so.obvious.watches. Uh, that's pretty much all I've got. The uh, I am... I, I may as well take the opportunity to tell Rick again. I am actually a moderator on the Sco- the Scottish Watches <laughs> website. Uh, sorry, Facebook site. So uh, yeah, if you go there, yeah. you'll you'll see me know. there. I'm I've just my my normal name, Pete McConville, and you'll see me there. Good stuff. Well, thank you for joining us. And a final to
0: ten and two watches. Hey, you all do a hell of a good job. Anyway, check out their podcast as well. It comes out on a Tuesday. So hi, cats. Uh, yeah, thanks, Pete. It's been great speaking to you. Great catching up to you. All the best uh, in the YouTube channel. It's great stuff, and you, you should all definitely check it out. So, as I say, it's goodbye from me.
2: And it's goodbye from them.
0: Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>